Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Only on Hulu. Friday. Look at us. All together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots! 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 Five, this Friday. He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Who does that? Vacation Friends 2. Rated R. Streaming only on Hulu. Friday. I want winners. I want people that want to win. All right, we're back on We Want Winners. Busy day on the network. Brian and I just finished the death lineup earlier this afternoon, and we're coming back for the audio folks. They won't hear this till Monday morning, but we're coming back on video Sunday night where Rod and I usually record. We're talking 49ers, and uh, we're talking OTAs. And before we get into OTAs, um, you know, a lot of people put, a lot of like, like you know, a lot of importance in, into what we read about the OTAs, and a lot of people say, eh, you know, it's it's glorified practice or or whatever. Where do you sit with the OTAs? I, I mean, I believe it's it's important to the players because I mean, you know, just getting back out there and getting acclimated, especially for the rookies and the um, guys who are new to the team, just getting. Um, you know, in, in tune with what's happening here. I, I'm not one who like puts a whole lot of stock. And I mean, again, I know it's not just here because I've been kind of tapped in, you know, kind of looking just around the league. And mm-hmm. it's not just here. Everybody is putting all kind like the like the Anthony Richardson first team reps is like a big deal in in <laughs> Indianapolis. So again, <laughs> I don't know how much of that stuff matters, like who took what reps with what group. I mean, in May, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how much that matters. I, I think, I, I think that it, it, it means progress, especially 
more the closer we get to like actual football. So, so, um, camp and training camp doesn't mean as much as preseason and so on. So, you know, it, it's fun to talk about, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Rod's a choppy, a little choppy, so hopefully it'll clean itself up because we've had some pretty clean recordings these last uh, these last few shows. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, I find it fun because if you are looking for something, like say you're a Trey Lance guy and you go, oh, yeah, well, he's he's taking first team reps. Like that shows that you know, that they have some faith in him. And then if you're a Sam Darnold guy, you go, oh, yeah, you know, but, you know, he, he's he's uh, doing well in the OTAs. That shows that, you know, they're having him, you know, almost already have as, you know, as many reps as, as Trey Lance. And if you're a Purdy guy, you're like, well, of course, he's the first. He, he's, he's the number one quarterback. So, they're, of course, they're going to bring him back slowly. So, depending on what your narrative is about the player that you're backing or the person who you want to see succeed because we don't get too much information and the information that we do get, it's a lot of coach speak. And it's a lot of like, you know, that they're not going to really tell us anything at this point. Cause it's so early into the, into the uh, preseason, not even the preseason yet. So the off season, I just find it funny how, you know, trying to make yeah. sense of stuff in June that uh, when, when we're three months away from even, really having any sort of competitive football is, is kind of funny to me. Yeah. We had that, that report that, you know, Lynch was encouraged by Brock Purdy's first throwing session. Is there any world where he says I'm discouraged by <laughs> his first throwing session? No, of course not. So, I mean, it, it's like you say, you just kind of have to take it all with a grain of salt, but there are things that we can glean from that. And, one of those things is exactly what you said, which is from all accounts, the idea was he was going to throw sometime in early June, and they sped up that timeline maybe a week. I know they said that he was throwing a towel uh, before that, but I guess he did actually throw the football. And so we'd been talking about, you know, since he got hurt, like, you know, you, know, you really need to bring this along slowly because you don't you you know the guy's young he's probably very eager you kind of have to make sure that you control the the ego and you know he's you know he had such a great rookie season he's got to be chomping at the bit and you know this kind of a hurdle and, and you know he's a guy who's you know in college in high school he kind of had to have that chip on his shoulder because he's undersized and didn't get the same recruitment as some of these other guys so he probably feels that way in the nfl too and he can't wait to get back out there because he's just all about proving himself. And so they did speed him up slightly. I think that's probably a good thing because they weren't going to do that if it jeopardized anything. So I guess, you know, that's a that's a positive thing. I don't know what it means as far as his timetable. I think I saw Lynch say something to the effect of now there's a chance he could be ready by training camp, which is encouraging. Um I don't know. I don't know if that if that changes anything heading into the season, but uh, kind of cool that you know he's he, he looks like he's taken everything seriously and he's really taken responsibility 
as someone who they believe is going to be the number one quarterback. Yeah, it's going to be, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. Um, let's talk a little bit about Trey because you can't talk about Brock without talking about Trey and Kyle Shanahan. He was explaining things about the quarterback situation that I don't, you know, I've never, you know, he actually is giving us some information about, you know, fundamentals uh, of things. And he was talking about how uh, Trey, he's going to have to play with his feet a little bit more wide apart so that he is ready to throw it when in some cases he's, you know, he's, he's a runner. And so here's the quote, and I wanted to get your, your take or your feedback on this quote. Kyle said, it means playing with your feet wider apart, always be in a position to throw. When you're a quarterback, your feet aren't together. When you turn into a runner, your feet are together and you look to run, but then it takes you a second and a half to throw and defenders can tee off. It's about always having to be in a certain position to throw in. So when the O-line is bad, you're not one of those guys who's just going to get sacked every time the O-line is bad. I don't know if he's like, giving us a little bit of uh, his insight into this team. <laughs> I hope not. Uh, you know how to get rid of the ball or you know how to turn into a runner and go. And that has to do with how you balance your feet out, how far you keep them apart and how you progress in the pocket. What is he telling us? And what is he telling Trey here? Do you think? Well, I mean, that, that is a real interesting insight and a lot more than Kyle usually gives you in terms yeah. of, you know, anything, but yeah, I, I do think that, um, that, you know, it's funny that, that, that I had not read that quote, but it, um, it dovetails nicely with some of the things I've been looking at in terms of, as we move into this year, you know, that obviously we haven't seen any of these guys play yet, um, on the field. But um, it 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 is concerning to me the um you know our our protection and you know they we it wasn't it wasn't as as you know the 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 stats say seventh in the offensive line rating in the league but when you go and look at these guys individually particularly everybody other than Trent struggled in pass protection at some point um, last year. And, and I know a lot of people are excited about McKivitz, but you want to talk about his numbers last year were excellent. But, I mean, you want to talk about a, a small sample size. He was like he had 35, 39 pass sets, and he gave up one pressure, which is great. But, again, it's only 39 <laughs> pass sets. So, I mean, it's it's not a whole lot to go on. So, he is actually one of my we'll we'll get to there we'll get there at some point but i've got you know Adam shine was doing his bowl predictions um this week and he had one a spicy one for us in terms of darnell but i've got a couple in our offensive line um figures prominently in one of them but yeah it's interesting to um to hear him talk about um what happens when we're not doing exactly what we're supposed to do as blockers. 
Yeah, and I so I guess the the context, and I, I was reading the article in which I saw that, and I was trying to figure out is he saying that, and and uh, this was about Trey finally being healthy. We remember in his rookie year broke the finger, and then we learned last year that the broken finger actually screwed with his uh, throwing mechanics and. Uh, they've tried to revamp that, and supposedly he's not having the sore arm anymore because his mechanics are more fine-tuned. But then there was the broken ankle as well. So he's had to come back from two injuries in his first two years. And so he was talking about it as well, saying, you know, finally he's he's healthy. Finally he's having, you know, he's able to have fun and, and play again, and he's just blessed, you know. And, and he's saying all the right things, you know, if – if I get the opportunity, I want to prove that I'm the guy, blah, 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 blah. But he also said that, you know, the same thing about the feet. And, you know, if my feet are right, then everything else is going to be right. Do, do, is the inference from Shanahan that he needs to be much better in his decision making as run versus pass, or he needs to be ready to throw when he takes off and he needs to be prepared for that so that he doesn't take these big hits. I sort of feel like he may take some of those big hits anyways, just because he's going to be out there. Uh, Kaepernick took some big ones, right? But Kaepernick's a big dude and he could take them and, and he bounced back. But um, uh, what's the inference there from Shanahan about making such a big deal about this right now? Yeah. I, I like to think that, um, it's not there there isn't any subtext to that any more than just him just trying to answer as truthfully as possible but then i as i say that i know that with coaches there's always a subtext to what it is that mm-hmm. they're saying <laughs> so um i but in this case i honestly i just i don't even i don't have any idea what it would be and if it's something just between them or he's trying to get a message to him or what i I, so i guess the the short answer is i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) and i and and you kind of wonder like you know maybe this is why he is not somebody who really says a lot because when he wants you know when when he gets a question and he has to rev on it Maybe he does say too much, and then people question, oh, what did that right. really mean? And so right. maybe exactly. it's just best to be kind of flavorless when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, I was um, I liked what he said because it just made me think about, you know, what separates like a Brady and a Montana. And you always, they will always say, right, it was like their footwork, their ability to slide a half of a foot to where they needed to be to get out of Dodge and to throw through that window. Like there, you know, it it seems like, you know, being a really good quarterback, sometimes it is just about, you know, those, those uh, margins where, where, where the best players are just a little bit better than the others at those smaller things. So that, that's kind of what I liked about that comment. Cause it just made me realize, I think, yeah, you know, if you think about Montana, like just the, the footwork was just amazing. That's true. But would you, what I keep coming back to with Trey is with all of those fine points, even with when you use guys like Montana and Brady, what 
I think separated those guys is the the amount of time in the seat. You know, you talk about like a fight simulator. They just played so much mm-hmm. that um, you know, those are the type of those are the type of fine details that come, I believe, with reps. You know, you you just you need to you need to do it. And there's, you know, and again, that's something that could be said about Brock and his experience at the college level. I mean, it doesn't always translate, but playing a lot of football helps. I mean, it doesn't always translate, you know, playing a lot of football in college doesn't necessarily translate to being able to play well in the NFL, obviously, Mm -hmm. because there are many examples of players who are really high level college players that just never made it in the pros. But I, I do believe there are some things that are transferable in that sense that again, Brady would be another example is just, they played so much that they saw a lot. There was a lot of things that they saw that were, um, you know, that you could, that, that were transfer transferable to experiences they were having in the NFL. And that's something that Trey just, just simply doesn't have. But yeah. that was something he didn't have. They knew he didn't have it when they drafted him. So um, that, that's, that's something that is, which is kind of interesting to me is that, you know, anytime that the talk spins around to like, is he behind schedule? My thing is what did they expect it to be? Did, mm-hmm. you know, he only, if he only had 500 reps or whatever it is in college, what did, did they expect that he was going to come in and start day one? I mean, because if that was their expectation, I think the expectation was flawed and not, it's not him. You know, I thought my understanding was that they were drafting traits, yep. which everybody does. I mean, a lot of people do that. You draft the traits with the understanding that you're, you're going to have to nurture and develop them, you know, because the opposite of that is you bring in somebody who had a ton of production and success in college. And then the question for those guys is, do they have the measurables and the traits to be able to replicate that production and success in, on the NFL level. So it's, it's like, you know, it's a, it's like a Venn diagram with every player. Some, you know, like the example that I like to talk about is like Patrick Willis, you know, he was the rawest of the raw, but in college he was ultra productive because he could run and tackle better than anybody. But, you know, Mike Singletary said, you know, he didn't have any idea. <laughs> Patrick Lewis had no idea how to play linebacker, mm-hmm. but they felt that he could, he felt that they could teach him to be a linebacker. The things that he did well were things you can't teach. You can't right. teach how to run like that. You can't teach a guy, you know, you, those, the aggression, you can't teach those things, but you can teach the other things. And that's what I, when I, when they drafted Trey, that's what I saw is they saw, this canvas with these tools and they figured they could make him into a quarterback. Now, you know, it remains to be seen whether or not they'll be able to do that. But um, I'm frustrated that it seems like sometimes it seems like they are 
trying to shortcut the process, which you just, you can't do. I mean, it, it, you know, it takes time and we see it all over the place. We see, we saw it with our other team, with the Warriors. They finally gave up on Wiseman. I mean that, you know, but so I don't know, you know, it's hard to know not being there daily to see what the players are actually doing um, to, to know if, are they not doing everything they can to maximize the opportunity? I don't get, I've never heard anything about Trey that would lead me to believe that he doesn't work hard and he doesn't care. And so now again, that doesn't mean that he's going to be successful because I'm sure there are a lot of guys who are, you know, diligent and really want it. They just never, it never happens for. Um, But I, I'm still at a place where I don't think we're anywhere near a point where it, it, it's it's time to cut bait on that dude. To me, it just doesn't seem like it. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Now, here's a here's an example that I was thinking about when Kaepernick took over for Alex Smith. Mm-hmm. The worry among 49er fans was we have a Super Bowl team. Can you turn your team over to a quarterback who didn't really have uh, you know, he he played in a specific offense in in college that mm-hmm. wasn't something that uh, you know that that he's going to really gain the reps for when it comes to the to the pro offense. Though he, you know he, he was a, they counted on him to make big throws, so he had those you know on his resume. But mm-hmm. uh, it seemed like Harbaugh was like, look. We're going to ask him to do like three things, and they're all things that he does very well. And we're not going to ask him to do some of these other things that maybe he doesn't do as well. And he was doing it when there were more eyeballs on that team, you know, from a media standpoint, because the Niners had just 
They had just lost the NFC Championship the year before, and so they were supposed to be a really good team. And now you put the rookie uh, or second-year player, or what? I think he was was he a second? He was second-year player. Yeah, second-year mm-hmm. player underneath center, and say, okay, you're going to do all of these things that you do well, and we'll sort of figure out the other stuff when when we need to. And he was just making big throw after big throw after big throw. Now. Let's fast forward to Shanahan. Obviously, there are some things that Trey Lance does tremendously well, but it doesn't seem like Shanahan's offense is necessarily built to go, okay, we're going to do these things, but we can- we're we not going to do these things because you're basically then telling the defense you know, what to prepare for. And it just seems like football is football that different from just 10 years ago or was it the way that the Niners beat other teams up that allowed Kaepernick to basically come in there and only have to, you know, and and, and I don't want to take anything away from him because he played tremendous and he was so confident. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there wasn't going to be, a, you know, a, a five-step drop and he's looking off four guys and finding the fifth guy. It was just like boom, boom, throw, boom, boom, run. Like, and he was so good at making those decisions in a very decisive manner. But that doesn't seem like we could even ask Trey to do that today in today's uh, 49er football. Yeah, well, and I think that is specific to Shanahan's offense because I think you could make the case that um, the difference between now and then, that the um, the – the offenses that players run in college and the offenses that are running the off in the pros, it, they are, you know, whereas it was, there was a time when somebody like, you know, even you like Alex Smith never played, you know, never was in the huddle. I mean, was never, never, never in a huddle and never under center. And now those guys and those offenses, the, the offenses in the pros look a lot more like, you know, RPO, play action, look a lot more like college offenses um, than they did even 10 years ago. So I don't think that – I don't think players have that much of a um, – there's that much of a um, learning curve in terms of that part of it now the terminology apparently the terminology is a lot more verbose and there's a lot more to pro offenses than that they have to deal with in college but i don't i think that that's more of a shanahan specific thing in terms of not being able to drill it down to just be able to do these simple things because I, it's my understanding. Like, again, I keep going back to that example, but Anthony Richardson, it apparently the Colts are, are, are doing just that. They are trying to build their offense around things that he did at Florida. And the, the fact that they're doing that is going to allow him to get on the field a lot faster than um, some people thought. It looks like, he's really going to give Minshew a, a run for his money in terms of being the week one starter. So you see it in other places around the league. I don't know why our offense can't be tailored to do those things. I don't know if it's just an unwillingness to do it or if, like you say, it is something structurally that uh, that doing that would make 
the offense a lot more easier, a lot easier to diagnose. I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but it does not seem that we are either able or willing to make that kind of adjustment for Trey. Again, and I don't know if it's just not the Shanahan, you know, he feels like, look, <laughs> you need to be able to handle this. Um, you need to be able to handle all of it. If you can't, you know, I don't got time for it. I know that that's what it seems like, you know, at other positions, like a receiver, for example. Yeah. He seems really adamant about doing it this way. I don't care how talented you are. These are the things you have to do. And if you don't do them, you just won't get on the field. So I don't know if that translates to quarterback as well, but um, it's 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 an interesting thought exercise to 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 think about um if that is the case let's move on to the offensive line because there was another really interesting statement and quote that i read that was reported uh so it was uh by uh forster chris forster the the offensive line coach and he said when it came to mckivitz and burford he did not want them looking over their shoulder. They need to uh they they need to carry themselves like they are the starters going into the season. And I thought that was like really really interesting because you know, neither guy you know, they they both had okay seasons, but neither guy really separated himself and and showed himself as like okay, this is a cornerstone. And I think that 49ers have invested in both of these guys very well. But you also signed some guys. You also draft, you know, uh, drafted uh, or have some guys on, on the roster who, you know, should compete and will compete. But what do you think of the mentality of going, hey, you are the starter. I don't even want you to worry about who's behind you going into OTAs. That is a – it's a very interesting – um philosophical shift you see they did the same thing with Brock but that was never <laughs> um that was never a you know he, I, I'm not comparing Kyle Shanahan to Bill Walsh necessarily but Bill Walsh is a he's an icon as a coach and that was something that just it was unheard of that you were like told that you were you're the guy. You know, every it was competition. Joe Montana had competition. Yeah, poor Montana had to look over his shoulder after he, winning Super Bowl. If he had competition, <laughs> how does anybody else not have competition? It, it, you know, it, it just it doesn't make sense to me. But I mean, I guess in a in a in an era where we're you know we are a lot more sensitive to how people you know, their, their feelings and how they are dealing with the, the mental aspect of things. I, I guess I can understand, um, you know, the stress that could be the, the stress that having that fear of looking over your shoulder could affect your performance. I get that. I mean, I can, I could understand that, that, um, it, while I mean, it, but it's a careful balance because this is competition, and everybody. I feel that everybody should feel like 
they have an opportunity to play. You know, in high school, which again, I, I wasn't a player, but in all the good teams I ever played on, you could challenge for a spot mm-hmm. weekly. You could come and say, hey, I'll coach. I want to, you know, I want to challenge for a spot this week. And, you know, that's how you kept sharp. The guy who was the first team guy knew that there was somebody there who was trying to take his job, you know, so that creates, you know, it it can, you know, it goes both, it can go both ways. You yeah. it can, it can create competition, but can also create dissension and all kinds of other negative things. But I, I've never heard coaches in front offices talk about you know openly talk about it in this way before so it's interesting it's it's a real interesting um situation and but and you think about it from i mean if i would imagine it feels good if you're the first team guy but how do you feel if you're the second and third team guy well i wonder what he's telling the second and third team guy is he telling them the same thing or is he telling them you know, I'm saying that because I want those guys to feel like they're the guy, but that, you know, but it, it, if you outplay them, you outplay them and, and things can change. I kind of wonder, you know, what yeah, so the I mean, message is to them. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So what is he, what are they, what is he telling Joey Fisher? You know, are, you know, yeah, it, it's McKivitt's job. So you just sit back and, you know, <laughs> wait your turn, which again was one of the things that was a criticism of, um, I don't know if it was in the same interview, but um, I heard Forrester talking about that was um, McKivitz's wake-up call because he was a draft pick and he kind of went about his business his first two years, kind of, you know, well, I'm a fifth-round draft pick. I'm just going to hang around, and eventually I'll get my spot. Well, he ended up getting cut yeah, and ended up on the practice squad. And it was that he, I he talked about that is what put a fire in him was um, the under of learning that it wasn't just, you know, being a draft pick, it wasn't just going to, his time just wasn't going to come. He needed to fight for everything that he was going to get. So that's, that's kind of a, a dichotomy to that, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it, I, I, I don't necessarily think that it's, um, it's incongruous. I mean, I guess both both things can be true. Um, that look, we we believe in you, and that you shouldn't look over your shoulder. Just focus on what you're doing. But that doesn't mean necessarily that the job is yours either. Yeah. yeah. So, and you know, some in some instances, like they are a team that is expected to be very good, and they, if you if you look at some of the positions, which we're going to talk about in a second. You know, that offensive line one may be the weakest position group on the roster. And so maybe it's the it, it, it it's the coach trying to get his guys to believe that that because as a group they've been together and the offense is going to be good. And it's just like, you know, just by committee, we're going to be a good unit and you guys have to believe that. And and maybe that beats you know just signing guys off off of free agency and you know Jose Feliciano's kinfolk maybe he comes in and and they're like look we have a group that we believe in and the way that you're going to help us is 
you're going to be flexible and you're going to be able to play multiple spots and, you know, next man up mentality. And maybe that's valuable to them. And that's why they, they sign someone like him. So I, I'm fascinated by it because I know football mentality the least because I did not play, mm-hmm. um, you know, I did not play tackle football growing up, uh, you know, but I played basketball, I played baseball. So I understand sort of the philosophy and the mentality behind the inspiration to those sports, but football is kind of different to me. And, you know, I also feel like, you know, you hear a lot of times like football players, they're just a different beast mentally than other sports because of the physicality and the, you know, the understanding that at some point during your football career, you're going to get your bell rung. And oh, you yeah. just go into it just going like, eh, it's going to happen. And it's like, what? How about no for me? I don't want to get my bell rung. But that's just yeah. kind of, you know, the mentality of a football player is uh, is crazy to me. But it, it's, you know, there's there's an element of uh, uh, of drive or fear or whatever that, that really makes these guys who they are. Well, and, and, and that is true, but it's also changing. And I, you know, I've being close to it in that my nephew plays high school football and I've coached for a long time. I, 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 when I say I played in air quotes, I was on teams. I didn't play. (laughs) (laughs) I I practiced, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is a different mentality, but even it's changing because the game is changing with this whole trying to legislate the violence out of it, which you can't ever fully do, but it, it it's you know I think we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about it. You know, one of the other topics on the list kind of gets to the point of that. You know, trying to curtail or eliminate the violent portions of the game mm-hmm. um, it, it's 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 a real thing. So you know the, the things like the Oklahoma drill, the tough man type drills and things are things that are going by the wayside. Those are things that, you know, were staples of the game when I was coming up and even, you know, 20 years ago, but those are things that are almost, I mean, they are, they're, um, they're relics. I mean, you really, you, you're hard pressed to find those things and anybody who tries to institute or implement them, they're um, ostracized and punished for it. It's just it's it's a different it's a different world. I found it interesting. That last week there was a um a little blurb about um Kyle getting into it with an NFL PA rep who was there in camp um <laughs> on his practice field. And I mean, it's just that you know it's that's just the um the um the the environment that we find ourselves in makes those I mean that is you know those types of site visits and well, I didn't he- I didn't hear this story what happened yeah well apparently there that it was just a, a small blurb that um um Kyle and an NFL PA rep that, that who was there at practice um there was a huge exchange between the two of them on the field and the gist of it was that um the the rep had something to say about what was going on in the field and oh, wow. Kyle 
was not <laughs> clearly was not pleased with this with the interjection of the the rep the you know but that is something that I mean I listened to a lot of Dominique Foxworth and you know he was a former um NFLPA president and this is something that he's talked about often that that this is something that is more and more prevalent around the NFL is that you know that the PA is um very active in what is going on and making sure that to the letter mm-hmm. what is being what has been negotiated is being implemented in um in camps you know that if you're supposed to be practicing x amount of time that that is what is happening mm-hmm. if you're not the, the coaches aren't because it's because it's a tricky that you talk about knowing the environment well i know enough about football to know that if there are rules put in place for practice and workouts and other things the coaches will make a whole lot of shit excuse my language stuff voluntary that is voluntary it's really voluntary slash mandatory because if you don't do it yeah wink wink voluntary <laughs> wink wink right exactly <laughs> that there are because there's not supposed to be punishment for not um for not participating in voluntary um workouts but you know there i i've been um privy to that you know my my, my brother was in college he got demoted for not showing up to he got promoted from first demoted from first thing to second team for not showing up to 7:30 voluntary workouts i mean wow. and that that kind of thing is um it's it's rampant and i'm sure there's that the nfl is no different so you know that's what those people are getting paid for is to make to make sure that there ain't that kind of funny business and i'm right. sure coaches and front offices don't really love that kind of oversight in their in their building so sure, if sure. that was just interesting is is an interesting little side note that i you know that, you know it's just it's it's good to know that the pa is trying to do their jobs and um you know you got to keep them honest you know you just you really do because everybody's looking for an edge so you were doing some work on some uh looking up some positional stuff and I wanted to kind of give you the floor and just tell people what you were looking up and what you were researching. Well, I was, was kind of just trying to piece together and look at, trying to look at tape and especially for the guys that weren't here last year and trying to figure out um, how they're going to fit and um, what, we can kind of expect for them. And honestly, it's it's ridiculous because we haven't seen any of these guys on the field on our team. But um it's May. What the hell else am I gonna do? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, but I thank you for giving me the floor on that, but I think I'm gonna punt on that because you brought something to my attention that I had heard was proposed, but I did not know was passed about um the kickoff yeah and you sent me down a rabbit hole when you when you um told me that that was you know passed it sent me down this rabbit hole looking at 
because basically that for those who don't know the um the NFL um made a rule that it's basically the college rule mm-hmm. that inside the 25 um you can now fair catch kickoffs and get the ball at the 25 um which is interesting um so it sent me down a rabbit hole looking at how that rule affects the NCAA and um, how might it change how things are done in the NFL. Talking about player safety, it looks like we are on the path to just getting rid of the kickoff. That that was my ultimate question is why haven't they done that yet? I, I have no idea because it, that is, it's, so I'm not crazy. It's clear to me that that is the path that we are walking down. I don't know why we're just pussyfooting around it. I know that the NFL began talking. I know people don't like union talk, but I know that's one of the pushbacks of the union is those are jobs that people that would be lost. Yeah. The, PA, are- the PA doesn't want to eliminate special team stuff if it means more people are, are, are playing and getting paid. Right. But it it's clear that they're, you know, if the NFL is saying that the data shows that kickoffs are dangerous, then kickoffs must really be dangerous if they yeah. are the, the um if they are acknowledging that the data shows that, you know, <laughs> it's a danger, you know, that that injuries are more frequent on those plays. Um, then it must be something to it. Um, so I just think that's what we're trying to get to. That that's where we're on the road to. Anyway, I was looking in about. Um, of course, it's not an apples to apples comparison because there are just way more attempts. Um, in the in the NCAA with you know 151 teams playing games, but I think the percentages kind of hold up and so like 10 percent of kickoffs in the ncaa last year were fair caught um so if you were to do that in the nfl that I mean that's that's like a hundred it's like 200 kickoffs mm-hmm. that would be just just um you know would just be fair caught um it, it's you know so the, you know, last year in the NFL it was like forty percent of kicks were returned, fifty-eight were touchbacks, and two percent were onside. Um, and so it, I guess, they just numbers were. I got real caught up in the numbers. Like our kickoff, I mean, it, you don't have to really look at the numbers to know that our kickoffs weren't weren't good. The league <laughs> average is like fifty-eight percent touchbacks, and we and Robbie was at forty-five. Um, Interestingly, while we don't know whether or not um, Moody's, you know, he'll be able to replace um, goals, especially as a clutch kicker, um, he had 65% touchbacks. That's something which would, you know, he, he would have been, you know, if he were able to pull that off, in the NFL. And, but that seems like something that is kicking it in the end zone does seem something that would be transferable. You know, if you can kick it in the end zone in college, it would, you know, one would 
standard re- it was standard reason that you'd be able to do the same in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So that that is something to look to to, to, to that um, bears watching. Um, if our if he can be twenty percent more effective taking the ball in the end zone, what that would mean to us in terms of, of you know know starting field position and whatnot would be huge for our defense one would think so yeah i just find that the the whole whole conversation around um kickoffs i mean which is most people don't care about i think but i find it fascinating yeah, it's these small changes yeah. that are kind of big picture things. You know, we we saw it with the quarterbacks, we've seen it with wide receivers, we've seen it with a lot of the the hitting and the secondary to defensive receivers. The the game has changed a lot and you know, for for the health standpoint, for the better, and I think fans can can get that part. Uh and this is another one which, which I'm okay with. I just find it to be you know, maybe uh, maybe this is maybe they just do, maybe they don't want to take away kickoffs because it's such a big part of football lore and, and a part of the game that you do that, you know, instantly and it changes so much and you kind of do it slowly. Maybe like you said, we're getting there. Um, and, uh, you know, n- not I, I, and then you, you, you look at punts like, you know, did, right. Pun- punting is a, a very strategic thing for the uh you know for, for the game but you know we don't see punt returns go crazy anymore almost everybody's just gonna fair catch a punt if there's any possibility that these guys are gonna get hit so that's another thing that you that i wonder if there's any uh, any opportunities to make safer i remember when um the original xfl came out they're like nope we're outlawing fair catches, and you're like, "What? Yeah, that crazy! That's and, like the opposite." <laughs> yeah, and then, and, but but what it was is that the the uh, the the special teams, the team that was punting, they had to create a shell around the player, like they they had to actually stop themselves from making a tackle until the player was able to catch the ball, and that was their that was their rule. So I mean, it was it was pretty stupid as it was, but. Yeah, they're you know they're going to take any opportunity to uh, make sure that these careers uh, of these star players, I think, uh, you know, are, are last longer. Because imagine, you know, Joe, I'm sure Joe Montana would have loved to play until he was 45 years old, but his body right. was crippled by the time he was in his mid 30s because of all the damage. So if you're extending the shelf life of your most important players i think that's going to be ultimately a good thing for the game and you know the 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 concussion stuff uh i i i would i just don't you know when when we were younger special teams seemed like it was much more of a bigger thing now the kickers i feel like are are probably just as important as ever but the punt returners and the kick returners you know there are some out there but these guys these teams don't even want to put their best players out there because of the fear of getting hurt. Like Deion Sanders, as valuable as he was, maybe because he was so dynamic as a punt returner, maybe you do go, okay, we're going to put him back there, but we're just going to tell him he's got to fair catch everything unless he's got opportunity. But you can't, you can't put a guy who's making 
you know, $9 million a year, you can't put him as a punt returner anymore because he's just too valuable to your team to lose him on some sort of, uh, you know, injury that that was on special teams. Well, and again, that's when you you see it, it, that's how you know the stakes are high is when you see teams put like, you know, Tyreek Hill or Jamar Chase or those level guys out there for punts, you know that they are yeah. really, it's a, really it's trying. like It's like a playoff game, and they, you know, yeah, totally. But, yeah, it, it, the other thing I find interesting is I, I forget who I was listening to a podcast, and they were talking about it's going to be interesting to see. It wasn't specific to the kickoff. It was actually more specific to um, the the reinstituting of the third quarterback. And they were opining or, or wondering how somebody like Bill Belichick is going to try to leverage that mm. to an advantage for him. Because he's all, he's a dude that's always looking for edges. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out how they, he can manipulate that rule change um, to some sort of an advantage. I, you know, I don't know how he would, but you know, you know, you know, coaches are with with this and with the, the like, 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 is the idea that if he's got like a an extra receiver that he wants to play, that that receiver takes snaps as like a third quarterback exactly. or something? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you you try to you know oh this guy he's my he's my third quarterback okay um you know and you know because it's he's if he doesn't um he's not a roster player you know you how you can manipulate that extra roster spot um that is you know using this you know this new because basically it's. It's not, um, you know, again, it's not any different than it, it, this used, that used to be the way it was is, you know, that you, you could carry an emergency quarterback. You just couldn't put him back. You know, if he came in, you know, everybody else was, was dead as far as being quarterbacks. And I don't even know if that's the case with the new rule. Um, I don't, I'm not sure. I really honestly didn't research it too deeply to figure out exactly um, how, it um will be implemented in terms of if you know if that third quarterback is used if the other guys can't come back or or what but um it's interesting you know it's 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 the thought of you know everybody that's trying to find edges is um <laughs> it's always interesting to me uh so you know i think i think we got a good amount in today we're, we're gonna have to figure out some of the tech difficulties that we had so unfortunately no video episode uh podcast only today but um you know we'll be we're we're gonna keep doing this uh, every other week thing and you know as we get closer to the season you know and when it once it makes sense and there's more news we'll we'll get back to uh to weekly um but yeah so you know if if anybody has any Feedback for us, uh, gg at bspnmedia.com is a way you can reach out to the show. Uh, if you have any thoughts, any ideas, any uh, any uh, history with, with the team. I like reading you know, from, from listeners who have some sort of history w- with the team as well. Uh, just, yeah, shoot, shoot, shoot us an email. Any thoughts about, about the show? Uh, Rod, anything else before we get out of here? 
Nope. Sorry for the technical difficulties, you guys. Um, I am just so happy to to be doing this, and I'm looking forward, man. Uh, you know, we had we hit the hundred day mark during this week, so it's um it's coming. It'll yeah. be here before you know it. Absolutely, it will. All right, so uh, we will be back in a couple weeks here. For Rod, I'm Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out. This is Andrew Rotondi from the Bronx Pinstripe Show. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now, as well as my podcast, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team, their podcast network, and business operations. Now, they are raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's an amazing platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. So in other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which in turn will help this show continue to grow. If you'd like to be part of the BlueWire investment round or just want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com slash BlueWire. Again, WeFunder.com slash BlueWire. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.